Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Nestcast Live. It's November 26th, 2020. And for the Americans joining us today, happy Thanksgiving. I'm Jim Chu, host of The Nest and Nestcast Live. And we're here to discuss topics relevant to investing in entrepreneurship in emerging markets. And we do with entrepreneurs and investors with first-hand experience on those topics. Thanks to Zoom, we can get an audience from around the world to join in the discussion. And to that point, I want to stress that this is not a webinar. It's an interactive open Zoom meeting where you can all participate. We left it open on purpose so that we can get your opinion. Do note that this conversation is recorded and will be available after the show on our Nest YouTube channel and as a podcast. You can find links to subscribe to both at findthenest.org. A few quick announcements. Don't forget to join us next week, same time. That's 8 a.m. San Francisco time, 4 p.m. London time, and 7 p.m. Nairobi time. You can always find links um, to, to put up on your calendar, to put the show on your calendar, and to join the meetings at, uh, of course, findthenest.org. Uh, we want to hear from you. Use that chat box. Talk to others watching the show. Ask questions and make your view known. We'll do our best to bring audience comments and questions into the conversation. Speaking of conversation, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier before we started, I see today's discussion more like a rowdy dinner party than a fireside chat. Um, yeah, I, I never have the time to sit by a fire. So, but uh, we want to hear the right arguments. We want to hear everyone's opinions. So please jump in. At the same time, if you're not speaking, please put yourself on mute so that we can all hear clearly. And uh, in the meantime, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, which country you're from, your opinion about today's topic. All right, well, Grace, over to our panel today. We have a lot of familiar faces. We put together a panel of um, both investors and entrepreneurs who've all been on the nest because we'd like to hear about your experience on the nest but also talk a little bit about crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding in particular, and ask the question, does crowdfunding work for startup fundraising? What is crowdfunding? Well, on that note, Raj, would you like to go first with a quick intro and perhaps you can even share your experience being on the nest and your opinion about it. And by the way, let loose, let loose. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so hi, everybody. It's really great to be here again. My name is Raj Kulasingham. I'm a lawyer at a firm called Denton's, but I'm also an active angel investor. Um, and I've been on the nest, I don't know, probably half a dozen times. I've invested through the nest, probably um, either directly or I've seen a, a, a portfolio company come onto the nest. I would say maybe five or six companies have either, you know, I'm an investor in which has been through the nest. Um, and it's great to be here, and uh, I'll be throwing some chairs. Okay, great. Um, over to, let's see who's who's next on our list here. Derek, over to you. Hey, what's up, Jim? Hi, everybody. It's a pleasure to meet you. Those of you in the U.S., happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm Derek Ashong. I am the founder of Amp Global, uh, which is a technology company built around media and entertainment. You could call us Big Data for Big Media. Um, super happy to be here. We had an opportunity to be on the nest a few months back, and we were able to raise some capital, uh, which helped close our seed round. And we are getting ready to officially launch on December 6th with a very, very special interactive media asset. It's a series called the Mike Africa, 
Uh, it is the first television format that's been born on the African continent to be exported around the world, powered by our big data engine to give the audience a voice in identifying the most creative and powerful talent across the continent. Great. Thanks for joining us. And I heard you might be able to even, you know, wrap your discussion or wrap uh, your argument. I mean, I'm always open. You know what I'm saying? Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Great. Over to you, Gita. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you, Jim and the Nest, for having me back. I'm looking forward to an interesting conversation today, um, just by way of, uh, of, of uh, giving a bit of context. Uh, for me, what's been interesting is, is making that shift towards angel investing coming from you know, the private equity side. Um, so that perspective is some of what I'd be looking to bring into the conversation today. Great. That sounds wonderful. And yes, you're going to be brutally honest with us as well. Excellent. And uh, over to you, Ope, or Kendall. Sorry. Hi, everyone. Yeah, hi, Go everyone. Go My name is Ope Adeoye, founder at a company called OnePipe. I'm probably the least experienced person on this panel, first time-ish founder. Um, OnePipe is a company that creates a platform that makes it easy for banks and businesses to partner better together. I think of it as mechanisms that let businesses launch a fintech in a box. Um, kind of like that. Um, I was uh, opportune to be on the Nest a couple of months back. Um, that experience really helped me to close out our pre-seed round and was right. very instrumental. I'm hoping I can have some things to contribute about my experience on this call. And, and what I can say is I, was, I felt very fortunate to, uh, to have had the opportunity to invest in your company and I wouldn't have found out about it uh, Unless it was through the nest, could you share how much um, how much you you raise through the nest? Or if you don't want to, that's okay too. But I would love to hear a little more details. Um, so we came. I came to the nest looking to raise. So the round itself was four fifty k. We had one fifty k left to close out the round when um, I came on the nest. Uh, but the barrage of interest that came after the nest made us have to recalibrate the round and we kept pushing the round size higher and higher and we ended up at 950k post the nest wow wow okay so well, hopefully uh the nest uh, helped make that easy um make the whole process easy Wonderful. yes it did actually excellent it kendall did. over to you no thank you and uh welcome back and over to you kendall Thank you. And thanks, Jim, for inviting me back. Um, I'm surprised, but thank you. <laughs> I've been on the nest a couple of times. Um, I am based in South Africa, but I'm actually American by birth. I invest in, I've been investing in Africa for about 20 years. Um, I invest on behalf of institutions and in that capacity have mainly done FinTech, but I'm also an avid angel investor and I've gone quite wide. So health tech, um, logistics, um, what else? Uh, Data-driven businesses um, and a few other a few other verticals. And I just want to tell Raj that I'm not throwing chairs, but I'm going to throw dinner rolls because you can't have a good um, dinner party without a good bun fight. So get ready. <laughs> very good, very good. Well, I guess um, that's all the panelists. And now over to our topic. Uh, does crowdfunding work for startup fundraising? Who'd like to jump in? 
you know, Jim, I think I think I, I should go because I'm, I'm I'm not ready to throw chairs. And and you know, once someone once told me I wish I, I met a lawyer only at one hand. Um, and and the reason I asked him why, and he said, well, because lawyers always say on the one hand and then on the other hand. So I'm going to give you two hands here. So on the one hand, I think it does work in more developed markets. I think uh, it's I struggle to see it working in the form that it works here, for example, in the UK on the continent. And maybe one of the first things that I would say is what do we mean by crowdfunding? So I think the nest is a sort of crowdfunding, but it's not the crowdfunding that I see, for, for example, as an angel here in, in, in the UK. So, so that's maybe my opening, opening gambit on that. Okay, and can I just jump in there really quickly? Because I think, uh, you know, when we say crowdfunding, maybe that's, that's another question to address. Uh, most people think about Kickstarter and Indiegogo uh, or Kiva. And, you know, I, th I think there's this thing whether you call it crowdfunding or something else, of making asset classes of investing more accessible to everybody, right? Whether that's um, you know starting with public equities and something like Robinhood, or if it's uh, something like Republic or Cadence that is essentially doing venture deals, but aggregating uh, capital through a platform where somebody could even invest as little as you know thousand dollars. So, uh, you know, where, where I was quite excited about that idea is, you know, if we're able to create a platform where um, smaller check sizes are accessible to investing in startups, we could have more Africans investing in Africans. We can have more people from the countries and that hopefully will make investment outcomes better because, you know, foreign capital coming into a market doesn't always help. Um, and so I think having more local capital be engaged, even if it's through this kind of platform and really capturing the mass affluence, that might be something quite interesting. It could be even quite transformative for the continent. I mean, that's just my, my opinion. Thoughts, anyone else? Gita? Jim, I'd completely agree with you. I think part of the challenge that we've had in terms of financing businesses on the continent has always been where's the money coming from? And unfortunately, um, from large cap to mid cap to small businesses, uh, you know, unless it's coming from friends and family, most of the, the, the more institutional funding has come from outside of the continent. And that has helped in certain cases. You know, if you look at ESG and impact investing, this has been really rolled in and Africa is much further ahead, I would say, than any other continent in terms of institutionalized approaches to sustainability within its investment approach. And that's because it was a condition of the funding that came from development finance institutions, for example. The flip side of that, however, is often, especially for, for smaller businesses, it's been really tough to get investors who fully understand the journey, the context, et cetera. And I know we have entrepreneurs uh, on this call today who will be able to speak to that. Um, one of the things, you know, for me as, a, as an investor, I've observed over time has been really what feels like a, a, a breakdown. And here's my, my first, you know, slight challenge here, um, especially moving to uh, angel investing and venture investing as opposed to private equity investing. Um, and this is actually has been the, 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 you know, the source of heated debate at dinner parties with, with others I know. And this is what are you actually investing in? Are you investing in real fundamental growth of these businesses 
or are you investing in a speculative manner to benefit from what is effectively, a, a, you know, what you're expecting as being a change in the valuation of the business? And this is something we've seen, um, I'm not quite sure work, but we've seen lots of evidence of this kind of investing happening in Silicon Valley. Is that what we want for places like Africa? I would say I, I really struggle with that because mm -hmm. I I'm a fundamental investor. I really believe in, in creating real value um, and investing businesses, creating real products, real services. So from an investment perspective, I worry about uh, being able to uh, bring in capital, which is really speaking to the needs of the entrepreneurs and the products and the services that are being created. We all know horror stories of businesses which have received capital, um, which does not understand the context and the businesses have really suffered as a, as a result, right? And neither the investors nor the entrepreneur nor the consumers have won. So I think there's real potential for crowdfunding and I'm happy to talk to this a little bit later, but the first challenge here that I'd love to get some perspectives on is how, what role does fundamental investing have to play when you are crowd, uh, you know, when you are crowdfunding and what does that put in terms of pressure on entrepreneurs uh, in terms of the expectations of what's the kind of returns on the PE side, um, you know, top quartile performance over the last decade has been in the single digits. That's top quartile performance. So that's a question I have. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Derek, yeah, I want to jump in. Yeah. And have something to address. Okay. So I've, I have a few thoughts. I have thoughts on the crowdfunding side, but what Gita has, um, has uh, raised is, is very much shots fired. Um, there is an article recently uh, that a friend just in Silicon Valley sent me. It's in the Atlantic. I believe the title is something along the lines of, you know, will venture capital be the death of capitalism or something along those lines? Or is venture capital destroying capitalism? And the basic case that they're making is that the interests of venture capitalists and the way that the VC game runs right now, particularly in Silicon Valley, is not necessarily about value creation, right? It's about valuation creation. And as what you're getting at, Gita, is like there's a business model where you create some valuation bump in a, in a, uh, in a company. And basically, VCs are effectively selling valuation to other VCs rather than products or value creation to communities. And I think that this could be extremely destructive potentially for African communities where you need innovation that actually touches people's lives. But I would throw out there that there's a challenge in considering that. And it may really require us to be very thoughtful about alternative financing structures, which is if you're an African company and let's say you want to compete in the global market space. Like, I don't believe in this idea of like, oh, you're doing a thing. You're coming from Nigeria. So obviously you have solutions for Nigeria. Nobody says that to anyone in Silicon Valley. They may start with Palo Alto. You're trying to dominate the world. I think we can be just as innovative as anyone else. If that's the case, here comes somebody and they've got a bazillion dollars backing them uh, out of Silicon Valley or elsewhere. And you, meanwhile, are trying to build your fundamentally stable business. How do you compete? And, and here's the trick. Let's say that you say, well, you know what? Like we should be more humble. We should focus on our local markets, on our core markets. Great. What are the dominant social media platforms in Africa? What are the dominant digital media, media platforms in Africa? When those cats come into town, they'll eat your lunch in, in, in Botswana too, right? And so I think that there has to be some real consideration about we're building innovation in a global context, and we're dealing with global levels of financing 
that put our companies at uh, disadvantage? And what are the things that we can do to counter that? I have some ideas, but I would like to throw that out uh, to the panel. Great idea. And I think, you know, look, uh, the, the, other, the other thought is, and I, d I didn't see this statistic directly, but it was quoted to me earlier this week, which is the, um, the, the composition of uh, entrepreneurs who receive funding um, from a crowdfunding uh, platform versus, let's say, a more conventional uh, VC platform is significantly different, right? You have a lot mm -hmm. more minorities getting, in the, at least in the US, a lot more minorities getting financed. And it's uh, the nature of the capital chambers. So I'm not saying necessarily it's better, you know, there's pros and cons to every source of capital, but it, it does change the nature of the game. And again, my hope is that this, it can be more local or more African in terms of yeah. the investments. Yeah, hey, Jim, I, can I, I, I just like to, I'd like, oh, sorry. Yeah, go on, no, Kendall, Kendall, please. Kendall. Please. Yeah, I just would say, you know, just from a, from a lighter start side and, and what I, I've seen in terms of access to capital through crowdfunding and, you know, on the equity side, I'm actually surprised um, that we're, we're talking about it because the regulatory framework in Africa really doesn't allow for equity crowdfunding. It, it really, in terms of a formal equity crowdfunding platform, they don't really exist or there may be one or two, but- South Africa I know, is one. Yeah, well, one. So, and I know those that have gone out of business because the regulator said, no, you can't do this. Um, so, so, so I do see value in alternative financing mechanisms um, and putting aside the discussion around predatory venture capital and PE, um, I think angel networks is a source of alternative finance. It's growing on the finance. So it's not crowdfunding per se, but it is a crowd of funders to get together and make investments together. And I like that in terms of the theme, Jim, that you mentioned around democratization um, of access to wealth building opportunities, because it's always yeah. been the playground of the very wealthy oh, and your sort of normal, you know, investor that wants to invest in companies that align with their values um, really can't find those opportunities. So I think, um, I think angel networks are a great way to do that. Um, I, I think it's important that if someone's doing angel nesting or taking part in one of these crowdfunding platforms that they're just aware, you know, eyes wide open going in. Um, and yeah. I think it's always useful to know who's in that group. Are there experienced investors? Because, you know, that you can sort of ride on to some extent if you're not an experienced investor in the sector or else, you know, you could have a crowd of lemmings that are like all running off a cliff together and you don't really, you don't really want that. Um, but, but I think there's a lot of value in that. Where I see a huge amount of opportunity in terms of crowdfunding for Africa is in marketplace platforms. So for example, one that I've been um, working with is called Fint based in Nigeria. And what they do, they're simply a platform that brings together and sort of match makes funders and borrowers. And what's very interesting about their product range is it can be as low as $10 to top up air. So there could be a, a group of loans for people who want to top up airtime. So for $10, you can top up airtime. If you want to fund um, a solar panel or um, you want to fund actually an entire solar panel sort of installation, you can have $2 million investors that use that platform that are institutional investors or even banks. So, so, so I like this idea that it, that is bringing in local capital um, and, it's, and it's really matchmaking opportunities. I mean, I have issues around whether or not it's sustainable because I have some experience with, with different networks, but that's a different discussion for another time. But I think in terms of an opportunity, it's, it's, it's a powerful one. Now, we just need regulatory frameworks to um, kind of come up to speed. And there's a great um, association called the African Crowdfunding Association that was um, started by Elizabeth Howard 
an incredible source of knowledge about this on the continent. Yeah, you know, when, when, when you talk about um, legislation or regulation, um, some of this is really, uh, or at least the way it's happened in the US, a lot of the, what I would put in the category, crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding, is not actually going through the regulation crowdfunding, right? What they're doing is using uh, electronic tools, digital tools, you know, tools for onboarding, automated onboarding, et cetera, to make the whole process of investing um, uh, more frictionless, right? So the high touch VC model has always been, oh yes, you know, we're gonna go and talk to and get a bunch of big checks and we have our fund. But if you can make the process easier and less high touch, you can then make, you know, pick up uh, $10,000, $20,000 checks from the mass affluence, who are, by the way, accredited investors, right? Then you suddenly achieve the same thing. And, I, and we're seeing that all over, right? So there's, uh, as I mentioned before, Republic, um, they don't go through regulation crowdfunding. They go through primarily through uh, Reg D, which is, you know, your standard, you know, investing process for, for any accredited investor. They've simply automated the onboarding process, document signing, et cetera, et cetera, to make that really easy. There's another company called um, Cadence, uh, also based in New York, this is in the US, that allows accredited investors, again, so there's no new regulation there, to invest in institutional instruments, mostly debt instruments, you know, like a nine month bond that gives you 12% uh, uh, yield. I mean, so those were once only available to what I would call um, institutional investors, very large investors, because the minimums are very high. But they're able to use these electric, electronic platforms, digital platforms, to aggregate enough money to be able to give people like me an ability to invest in a $10 million bond issuance. So I, I find that uh, interesting. And I think um, there's an opportunity to apply a lot of those digital platforms, not even necessarily change regulation, right? Applying these digital platforms to investing in Africa, investing in emerging markets, and see more uh, more people get involved in investing in that because they can access the ticket sizes. Raj, you were going to say something before. Well, uh, well, the 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 the, 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 the chat the chat was going to throw was was sort of in response to what Geetha and Derek were talking about, and I think you know some people have described it as a bit of a Ponzi scheme, right? So. You know, your first investor, you get evaluation, you pass on the second investor. And my question and sort of observation is, you know, is that such a bad thing? Because you're still creating jobs, you're still, you, you, you're creating value in, in, that, in the ecosystem. So is that in itself a bad thing, right? So question mark, right? And, and you know, so Silicon Valley has created a number of Ponzi schemes. We've all seen this and they've crashed and burned, but they've also created, you know, some great companies, which... Um, have returned incredible uh, returns, but also created jobs and value and all the rest of it. So I, I, well, I'd be a bit I'll careful. Throw, I'll, you know, I'll, I'm gonna side with you on this one, Raj, and throw back some dinner rolls uh, in the other direction, which is, you know, look, I, I think um, I never, I undervalue the value of angel networks and angel investing until I got out of US tech and realized, wow, what an important role angels, especially good angels, play in bridging the gap between friends and family money and real institutional VC money, right? And if you didn't have that, that pool of angel investors there, so many good companies would never have even 
um, gotten there. So, you know, I, I'm totally with you. I think, I think, you know, big VC, especially in the US is a bit of a Ponzi scheme where people are just, yeah, passing, passing valuations off to um, among themselves. Uh, but I think there's true innovation that's being supported uh, when we look at um, a lot of angel investing that's happening, in my opinion. I agree. So I, I have a thought. I don't know if we throw in dinner rolls or chairs or, or is it time for bricks yet? But, you know, I'm ready to chuck something. Uh, I think there's I would agree that angels play a, a mission critical role. I think it's really powerful and and really good angels have a massive impact on the success of a business. Um, uh, and I have some thoughts. Maybe we can get into that later on of what makes a, a good angel. The thing that I think happens, Raj, to your point about why is it uh, potentially problematic if they keep flipping these companies, flipping these companies? I mean, well, for one, uh, you do get some good value, but I would argue that I think there was a study that came out from the Kauffman Foundation or something like that that said something like, you know, 90% of VC returns over the last like 20 years are coming from like, like 20 companies. I mean... It's yeah. absurd. So that means that there's a small percentage of people in the VC game that are in the business of creating all this general value. And then everyone else is doing something. Well, what are they doing? If the case is that they're basically flipping valuation to other VCs, well, then the, the determinant of if this is an investable company is not, is this a, an innovation that could succeed? Is this a scalable enterprise? Could this business have a, a, a strong exit? The criterion is, could I sell this to one of my boys? Yeah. Okay, well, what does that mean? That means that when you come in and you look like all the people that the VC's friends are investing in, that sounds like a good bet that I could sell it to my boys. And when you're the wrong gender or race or ethnicity or whatever, and, ah, oh, well, I love the business. I love the founder. Amazing. But, I mean, are my guys going to get it? It's a whole different ballgame. And, and, and the case will be like, well, if you were more innovative, if you were more creative, you know, if you're a really strong founder, you would do better. That's part of the reason why we left the United States. We started in Silicon Valley in Hollywood and we moved to the African continent because we realized that we weren't going to win at that game, but we could still win. And the question is, how do you develop ecosystems where people are investing to create value and how do you measure that value and how you do do it in such a way that the companies coming from those ecosystems can be competitive against the companies that are just getting money chucked at them. I'll throw out one last thing, which is like, you know, people talk about like the death of WeWork. And this is one of the things that was discussed in the Atlantic article, how it was such a, a, a debacle and oh my God, oh my God, it's so bad. But a lot of people, smart people were involved in it. And they made a very simple calculus. If things worked out, all the drama would be forgiven. It's only when things went sideways, big time, when it looked like the exit wasn't going to happen, then everybody got into, oh, my God, we're about corporate governance. So at the same time, while they were going through that process, a ton of value of actual viable co-working businesses were wiped out. Yeah, true. So I, I'd love to hear a bit from Ope and, um, you know, perhaps your experience uh, with the Nest in particular and the angels that uh, ended up investing. And, and full disclosure, I'm one of those angels. So you can say as, you know, whatever negative things you want about me. Um, and, and, yeah, and, the same has, and the same here. And the same here. So how has your experience been? You know, um, have, have the angels that 
have invested in one pint added value to to either the fundraising process or even to your company to a certain degree? Yeah, so I would say for me, uh, at some point I'm going to throw in a question as well. Um, but what I've found interesting, so being a first-time fundraiser, so to speak, I've found that the value that One Pipe has received in the last six weeks has come mostly from either small funds or angel networks, like individuals that just want to roll up their sleeves, set up that intro for you, um, want to get your business to grow to the next point. But uh, to Derek's point also, I could also get a, a clear sense of when should we do your next round? Let me toss it to one of my boys that didn't get into this round. So there's a clear sign of the beginnings of what could be a Ponzi, but you can't take away from the fact that all of a sudden it's like one pipe now has business development support from this army of 15 people ready to connect you, ready to grow business for you. You can't take away that, that reality at all. So I can say for a fact that if I could say my experience at the nest was some form of crowdfunding, it has suddenly thrown business development support for one pipe from 15 very great and connected people. And I can't take that away. Now, after that, I can also see the underlying, yeah, we need to get you to the next milestone quickly so that these boys that didn't make it into this round can get us to the next milestone. I can get a sense of that. And personally, I worry that what does that mean for me and for one pipe? Does it mean that when I get to the next round, there's still going to be some other boys that didn't make it into that round that want to get into the very next one? <laughs> At what point do I get to say, guys, the markets can only yield X, the business can only produce Y, and this is what we want to focus and build a permanent business on. I don't know when that point will be, but clearly I can see that angel networks, if you call them crowdfunding, has been very helpful for one pipe, but can also sense that I'm about to get on the hamster wheel and paddle, paddle, paddle. I can get I can get a sense of that as well. And so, well, I mean, it sounds like a great opportunity to play the angels off of each other and increase your valuation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so, you know, I, I, I just uh, as a clarification, I actually don't uh, consider the Nest crowdfunding, right? Um, it, it really is, it's more akin to angel investing, but I, I do think there is you know, some opportunities going forward in the future to um, involve more individuals uh, into the deals that we're doing or deals that are happening through the Nest and yeah. making 5,000, I don't know how many times I've heard oh, hey, Jim, can we pitch in 5,000 in that company? I'm like, oh, that's just really tough, right? Because, you know, okay, or um, Derek, accommodating a $5,000 ticket on your cap table just does not make sense. And, <laughs> you know, creating a syndicate, um, you, you have to reach a certain size before the economics made sense. But again, you know, taking a, a lead from so many of these other crowdfunding, or not crowdfunding, these kind of, I call it digital securitization platforms. I think there is a interesting opportunity to do that. And, you know, I think we're trying to pursue it at the nest. Um, we're, we're looking at different ways to allow uh, individuals, even on the nest, to be able to say, okay, uh, I'm interested as an angel investor, I'm an accredited investor, and I'm, I want to pitch in a bit of money. And so I, I think that that would be that that's something that I, I dream of dream about, and that's what we're that's where we're heading with the nest. But another point uh, for for that you mentioned Vito or something, I just want to, a little bit of a plug on Untapped. You know, I think one of the questions, and we asked this question in, in a 
past Nescaf's line, which is, is venture capital the right model for Africa? Is it funding? I mean, we need the one types of the world. We need a lot of these, you know, asset light, um, highly scalable services to transform the market. But then at the end of the day, what's the engine of growth in the continent? It's small and medium-sized enterprises. And so is VC going to finance that? Hell no, hell no. So I think if, and what we're trying to do at Untap is find a way to allow more capital to go into small and medium-sized enterprises through asset financing. But we also intend over the next years to make that platform accessible to tiny tickets, $1,000, $5,000. And so Africans can, oh, yes, I, of course I'm going to invest in uh, electro, electric motorcycles so that people can be providing um, moto taxi services on an electric motorcycle. I love that. And they're pitching some money. And that money doesn't go to a big uh, a startup that is trying to, you know, asset-like startup is going to finance assets for these SMEs that are growing. So, you know, I think we, if we want to see the right type of growth in Africa, we need to rethink how we do our, our, our instruments of financing. And simply cut, cutting and pasting venture capital from the U.S. and applying it to Africa, not only will it not be that profitable, I think it's going to focus growth and capital in some of the wrong areas. Jim, I'd, I'd love to pick up on some of what you're saying here, because for me, I almost feel like instruments are agnostic, uh, completely doesn't matter where in the world and, and so forth, but the context definitely matters, right? So I'd love to put some numbers around the discussion that we're actually having right now. So I was looking for this uh, in 2015, um, it's estimated about $32.3 million was crowdfunded for Africa-based projects. But less, and that accounted for less than 0.1% of global crowdfunding. But you know, to the point you had spoken about earlier, uh, changing to local funding. So these volumes uh, reached $181 million, uh, you know, growing over 100% from 2015. But most of that, about 88% of 2016 volumes and 89% of 2015 volumes was raised through foreign-based platforms headquartered in Europe and the US. Now, what does that actually mean? For me, you know, I've been having discussions with uh, a group of um, female entrepreneurs in one particular country who said each of us within this chamber have committed to putting X amount of capital because we're really tired of uh, trying to push financing for our businesses. I did the maths and realized that was over $2 million a year that this group of women entrepreneurs was willing to put in. And I thought, okay, now this starts to get really interesting because you can start to put trust, uh, trusted uh, intermediaries to try and bring the individual costs down uh, to your point, Jim, right? In terms of doing due diligence and being able to rely on the work that's done to get a transaction between uh, past, I'm really excited in, uh, in, in, with this entrepreneur to I, I'm going to deploy and not be a tiny little portion of the, the cap table always knocking on the door. And this makes it easier. I, I mean, I'll tell you, um, I'm an investor in Derek's business. And frankly, we had lunch, Raj, Derek, and myself in New York. And by the time I left lunch, I knew I wanted to invest in his business before I'd seen anything on paper. And it's not often that I make investments like that at all. Derek, you may be the only investment that I've gotten into based on, on that, well, right? You didn't talk to Ope. I was 
<laughs> sorry, we hadn't met before this call. But, you know, for me, I think there's great potential here, but the numbers are interesting. The actual gap uh, in terms of financing, and, and the IMF has calculated this, between now and 2023 is $345 billion is the financing gap just for Africa alone. Yeah. Is crowdfunding going to sort that out? It certainly isn't. But I, no. I really see a, a wonderful opportunity to address some of the challenges that have historically been there. Ethiopia this year has been working on um, their startup proclamation. Policy is changing very quickly. Kenya is talking about this as well, a number of countries. And I find it interesting when we talk about Africa, we always as investors start with, is the policy environment right? Well, <laughs> take a look at Silicon Valley. I'll just read you something. Over the last 20 years, Silicon Valley has benefited from a once in a lifetime alignment of advantages, American primacy, the ubiquity of cheap capital, the arrival of the smartphone, amongst other widely adopted tech innovations, and perhaps most significantly, a benign regulatory environment that has all conspired to create a historic concentration of wealth and power. We know this to be true. So why as investors are we coming into Africa and saying, no, but we need the policy environment to be right. We need the regulatory yeah. environment to be right. As long as you can deploy capital and you, know, you don't have uh, challenges in terms of taking your capital out. I think you know, a lot of us have been investing in SMEs for over uh, you know, 14 years on the continent. And we've been able to put money in for the most part and take money out. Um, so I feel like there's some really interesting things that could happen going forward, especially around thematic crowdfunding solutions. And Can I show you my deck? Please. <laughs> uh, I'm only half joking, right? I mean, look, I, you know, I, I personally believe very strongly, I mean, obviously, uh, putting a lot of uh, energy and money into Untapped, uh, that if we can figure this out, we can figure out how to create a platform that can channel money into these MSMEs and do it effectively and do it at scale, we will transform um, the economies in emerging markets, uh, starting in Africa. And so we're, I'm taking a cue, we're taking a cue from all the things that's happening in developed markets and then adapting that to what's happening, what's needed in emerging markets. And I think, again, you know, I wanna be successful, obviously, if we are successful, uh, when we are successful, you know, hopefully we'll see a lot more money going, a lot more capital going to the, the, the small guy who really just needs money to buy a growth cycle or a biowater treatment system or whatever it is. I mean, one Can of the I throw in a thought? Oh, go ahead, Kendall. Go ahead. No, go you ahead, first. Go. Yeah, it's so polite. It's so nice. <laughs> I know, there's no bun throwing. Um, <laughs> no, Raj has got all the chairs. <laughs> it's my turn. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that I found um, interesting in the last few years is that you're starting to see a lot of these alternative um, investment instruments. I mean, the, one of the real problems, and this goes back to the original question, is VC or even traditional private equity right for African markets? And in a lot of respects, no, because you really need, for a lot of investments, you need patient capital. You need capital that doesn't fit in the 10, you know, the 10, you know, we, we invest, we har start harvesting at five, you know, we, we may be able to add on an extra, um, a, 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 an extra year but it doesn't really fit the funding needs or the cycles of a lot of African businesses, particularly those that are just playing this very long patient game of building infrastructure you know, across the continent to get the kind of network effect that makes fragment, that solves for fragmentation of markets in Africa. So what I'm, but it doesn't, so, that, so what it, and the other thing that I think is an issue for a lot of local investors is the need for liquidity. Um, 
And even with the venture fund model not working for the companies, it also doesn't work for investors because there's no liquidity. You can't get out. You can't rotate your capital. So I think it's quite interesting, a lot of the alternative structures that are coming in, like um, venture debt funds, you know, that are, that are lending, but they're self-liquidating, but they provide some equity-like return to the investor as well. Um, or revenue share models are coming up where a lender says, okay, here's some money. You can pay it back. You're, you're risky, but I like the idea of you paying back by sharing some of your revenue with me. And then we unwind that instrument over time. Kendall, um, can I send you the untapped deck as well? <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to do exactly that, right? Um, we're trying to provide, provide uh, liquidity to investors, um, but also uh, allow them to benefit from some of the upside. Um, so anyway, I, I don't want to talk too much about uh, untapped, but I, 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 I think... Go ahead. If okay. I can jump in a little bit, if I can jump in a little bit. So I, while I'm not a finance expert or an investment guru or anything like most of the guys here, one of the things that I firmly believe in is that the African continent will only, just like Jim mentioned before, will only rise on the back of millions of small businesses. Many of yeah. these millions of small businesses don't precisely need venture capital that puts them neck to neck with people like Airbnb or any one of those bigger opportunities. That, that's not what those businesses need. My thinking, therefore, is that some sort of instrument, maybe driven through crowdfunding, is potentially necessary to finance these types of businesses en masse in a manner that still provides some form of liquidity to those who are participating in such opportunities. And that when the time does come, for investors to participate in such mechanisms and the time comes and they feel they would like to play the Silicon Valley game as well, if there's a mechanism where a portion of that portfolio can be flipped upwards into uh venture models, and maybe that could be interesting. But I think primarily, if Africa will really rise as we want it to, it will be driven by many small businesses that you Silicon Valley folks have learned to call lifestyle businesses. That's what Africa needs, right? Many so, lifestyle businesses properly funded. And, and, and just to clarify, most of the world has been uh, grown or developed or made rich off the backs of small businesses. Sorry, Derek, go ahead. Yeah, so I have a thought, and I've, I'm, matter, matter of fact, I have another brick. Uh, it's time to throw it. So basically, I think that this is good. And what you're saying, I don't disagree. But I would argue that we are looking at the question from the wrong angle. Um, and I'll give you a quick statistic and then why uh, I think this brick matters. So in the beginning of this uh, COVID lockdown, the internet usage worldwide went up by 70% in the matter of like six weeks. Explosive, we never see anything like it. In Africa, the mobile internet, which is how most people get online, flat at about 7% mobile internet use. Um, we were looking at, well, why is this happening? We talked to the GSMA, we talked to a bunch of telcos, we dove deeper, deeper, deeper. And there were two things. One is like a lack of like digital uh, education and understanding how to leverage the internet and also the benefits of it. But even more fundamental was just uh, we pay the highest prices for mobile data of anywhere on the planet. <clears throat> Come back to the uh, VC side and then to the small business side. If you're an entrepreneur, venture-backed style business in Mumbai, and you're looking for capital, and you go out to an investor, you're like, got this market of about 1.3 billion people. I'm going to go and make it happen. They're like, oh, we see the opportunity for scale. Okay, maybe we'll back you. If you're in China, yeah, I see it. 1.4 billion people. Here's my market. Okay, I see you. 
let's make this happen. Okay, so now you're an investor, uh, an entrepreneur in Lesotho. I mean, what? You know what I'm saying? Like, how are you going to compete on a global stage? How are you going to get the backing to even take your brilliant innovations out to that market and get the capital you need to scale? You won't because we're to, to atomized into these little teeny tiny markets. But if you put us together, it's 1.3 billion. Why can't we put these markets together? Because the way that typically works is you have something that reduces the friction of market entry, right? And scalability. And that's technology. If yeah. People have access to the internet. There's all kinds of things are possible. And we're talking about ways in which we increase financing into markets that haven't really become fully realized markets. And what I would argue is we need to deal with that gap first. Maybe it's parallel, but none of this stuff will work without it. Even if you get into SMEs, you know, you look at a place like Miami. Miami has got the highest per, uh, per capita uh, percentage of, I guess, uh, entrepreneurs in the country, way more than Silicon Valley. This is in the United States. Most of them are SMEs, yes. right? So if you don't give people the tools to live, to exchange, to do baseline business, whether it's VC scale business or SME, uh, we'll still find ourselves hobbled because we haven't solved the fundamental problem. Yeah, but you know, I, I would argue that uh, there's, there's an opportunity because of the increasing digitization of the informal markets that um, those markets can go directly to a digitized peer-to-peer, -peer, digitized transaction market uh, versus having to go through more of an institutionalized model, which is what uh, Europe, United States, other countries have gone through in the 20th century. So I, I think there's an opportunity there to potentially leapfrog because of this uh, masterization of informal markets. I mean, we in the U US, what is Uber? It's essentially a peer-to-peer -peer transaction, right? And we're using the digital platform to re-enable that because it's better than the institutional model of a taxi cab uh, running everything. And I think Africa or it requires has, internet. It requires internet, yes. But you know, you're, to to your point, we need more more infrastructure and um, more people on it. But I think that's going to happen. Perhaps it needs to happen more quickly, but it's going to happen. And when it does, I think there's an opportunity to really create transactions that are digital peer-to-peer -peer that will put, I think M-Pesa, for one, M-Pesa, that in itself is the best example of leapfrogging um, going to a peer-to-peer -peer model. Tim, Just to, Tim. go ahead, Raj, this time you, you go. <laughs> Tim, like I think me. I want to pick up on something Okpay said, right? Which, and maybe a couple of other people, it's, you know, how do you promote greater, whether you call it crowdfunding, angel investing, whatever, how do you, how do you make it more accessible, more desirable, etc. And I think there's a, there's a few things I want to say. One is, you know, we need more, we need more good news stories, right? So the Paystack story is a great story for Africa, okay? And if you look at, and I'm just seeing all the time now, little networks coming out of Nigeria of angel investors who club together, you know, and are doing stuff. So that's great. So we need, we need more good news stories. We also need, I think, um, better infrastructure, which is what Derek said. We need, I, I would disagree with Geetha to say, you don't need regulation. I think you can make regulation better. Sure, of course you can do it without regulation, but I think you can actually make regulation better. Look, the UK has got EIS and SEIS schemes where basically people can invest and you get 30% or 50% of your money back through your tax, tax regime. Now, none of the African countries have that. It's not that difficult to put in place. That would, that would incentivize more yeah, local. That would do a lot. 
local mm-hmm. investors, right? And then the, the other thing I want to say, the, the, the thing I want to start off with is how do you how do you get your money out? Okay, so this idea of having a secondary market, self liquidating mechanisms, I think if you can fix those two things, right? I think you'd really see, you know, this this space this space move. I, I think you need lots of things, but but I think that as well, right? How do you liquidate? How do you how do you get your money out? You put your money in. Okay, I hope you're going to make me lots of money, but I have no idea when I'm going to get my money out. And I know you and I had a conversation about can I can you tell me I'll get my money out of Series A? And you said no. Yeah, uh, Raj, why are you putting people on blast? Raj is throwing like the, the whole house, the whole house in the game. Just like you said, no. <laughs> I have one quick thought for uh, be quiet for a second. Um, just for clarification, because I heard um, Raj mention this and Jim mentioned this um, when about what I said about internet access and we talked about more um, infrastructure, the need for more infrastructure. And infrastructure sounds like money. It's going to cost money to build infrastructure. So we were having a conversation with the GSMA and they told us that a country like Rwanda, for example, has got something like maybe about 90, 95% uh, 4G penetration. It's got maybe like 12% 4G usage. What I'm saying is that there is a massive problem in front of us that doesn't require capital intense, intense solutions. It requires innovation and creativity, perhaps new business models, perhaps figuring out new incentive models. But why are we paying in Africa? So the typical uh, uh, cost for, you know, percentage of uh, monthly income that goes to mobile in developed economies or standard economies, whatever you want to call it, is about 2% of monthly income. Africans pay on average 9% of monthly income, right? It's almost a 5x more in our markets. There needs to be some consideration of how do we not build more towers? How do we build more fluid flow of, of resources so that all of the things you guys are talking about become more viable because if you create a secondary market for entrepreneurs who can't actually access the core market of consumers, you're still not going to generate the value that's required for these companies to be competitive. I just, just to support Derek. Oh. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, Kendall, you, you didn't have a chance to jump in earlier. So go ahead. Uh, to support Derek on this. And, and, and um, I sometimes will, I, you know, I have, I have a, a trusted friend and colleague who's, you know, much more senior than I am. He's been in the, he's, he calls himself a, he's, he says he hates banking, but he, he was a career banker for like, I don't know, 40 years. And I read ideas by him. And, um, and I was talking about the unified data API and this and that. And he just looked at me and he kind of shook his head and he said, look, we have three problems to solve. We need very inexpensive data to Derek's point. We need data that people can afford. We need ubiquitous, zero cost payments, and we need digital identity. Until you solve those three problems, you're wasting your time. And that's what he's doing now as a retired banker is he's trying to solve some of those problems. So I, I, totally, I, I totally agree with, with Derek that if you don't start really addressing these infrastructure issues, you know, the, the potential of the digital economy is not going to be realized. A hey, good article, Akbay, by the way, you just posted on. Yeah, great article. Great article. Uh, take a look at that. Uh, the article is an on, idea, an online stock exchange for small tech companies in Nigeria. 
Um, it's about three years old, by the way, or four years old. It was random. Okay. random. Better updated, buddy. Yeah. And, and look, you know, again, going back to digital securitization, I think uh, the, the natural evolution of digital securitization is to create secondary markets and even online digital markets, exchanges um, for, for different companies and, and different uh, financial instruments. Um, I, I want to read a point that Ahmed Banu, uh, from, I think from Nigeria, made online. Um, he, he mentions, he, he cautions that, um, you know, if crowdfunding isn't managed well, crowdfunding is now becoming the easiest means to uh, Ponzi schemes get set up, right? So, you know, we've, we've mentioned this before, but I think it's a point re really worth making, which is appealing to mass investor markets. There's some danger there of people getting hoodwinked, uh, lots of it. And so we need to be conscious of that and we need to make sure that there's uh, responsibility and there's a bit of curation. There's a bit of making sure that the, the people who are investing aren't tossing in their life savings. So I don't know what their answer is there, but that's definitely a good comment. Thank you for that, Ahmed. Uh, Jim, I think it makes a lot of sense because as the numbers get larger, we know there's plenty of regulation in place to ensure that you're pitching to investors who are considered to be qualified investors and aware yeah. of the decisions that they're making. There's, mm -hmm. there's regulation uh, across Africa in terms of if you are trying to attract investors with the larger ticket items, um, what you are able to say what you and how you're able to substantiate that. So on the crowdfunding side, what I, what I find quite interesting here is you know, okay, that's a very interesting idea that you've proposed, and I think it'll be it'll be good to get that in place. Um, and it solves for how do you create that vetted pipeline? Fraud happens. We know it happens. Look at what just happened with Wirecard in Germany, right? Yeah. They made a billion dollars up, and and now when you look at the exchange, you realize that there wasn't a requirement for audited financial statements, and this is Germany. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I wonder about is when we start looking at the, uh, the, the big pictures, uh, again, if I go back to Africa and think about this from a big picture perspective, we know we need more infrastructure. We need, we need more access to electricity. Once you go down that rabbit hole, it doesn't seem like it's investable. But at the same time, you know, we as individuals either are, uh, are, are running businesses on the continent or investing in businesses on the continent. So for me, this, this discussion, when I think about what's it going to take to get more crowdfunding, and the answer is to get more people to be willing to do this, including making this, uh, sharing this information, even within our own networks, uh, because most folks will actually be investing small amounts in businesses, whether they, they know they're going to get the money out or not, uh, on, on the listed side, etc. And I think when we talk about um, financing uh, some interesting opportunities on the continent, I, I'm still left with a question mark as to how you can get a larger number of these seen so that individuals can determine which businesses appeal to them? What do they think there's an opportunity set in, et cetera? I, 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 I think there's a lot of uh, opacity there, um, which would be good to try and uh, address because without that being addressed, I'm not sure we're going to be able to get to the numbers that we would really want to see on the crowdfunding side. Yeah, well, definitely worth having a follow-on discussion with you. I mean, I'd love to have that follow-on discussion with you on that as well. Uh, it's very relevant to what we're trying to do, both with the Nest and um, with Untapped. 
so there, there are a couple of comments uh, from the uh, from the audience uh, related to what we were discussing earlier. Comment from Saeed Yemi Iwojide. Uh, sorry for the mispronunciation. Uh, Nigerian government is making serious efforts to reduce cost of data and also rolling out Wi-Fi access nationally. And uh, also, Kendall, uh, thank you for sharing the um, the name Elizabeth Howard, founder of Africa Crowdfunding Association, is the expert on the continent about uh, enabling frameworks for crowdfunding. Um, so great, thank you for both of those. And uh, there's two minutes left, so I just wanna give everybody a chance to make a final comment. Any final comments? Who'd like to start? Well, I started, so let me, let me start as well. So, so Jim, first of all, I think, you know, what you're doing with the Nest um, has been great. And I think, you know, I've, I've seen some great companies and I think you need a lot more lot more nests like this. And I think hopefully it'll encourage people to, um, you know, to see the, the, to see the benefits of something like this. Um, I, I, I also think that there's a lot more that can be done. I don't think you have to wait for regulation. I think that, you know, there's a lot more that can be done in this space on the continent. And I wouldn't be surprised if it happens sooner rather than later. It feels like somewhere like Nigeria and Kenya would, um, you know, would, would be, Will be a starting point, but I think one of the challenges that is this, this lack of disposable income. So you know you're still talking about angel investing being a very very small sliver of society in 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 places even like Nigeria and 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 Kenya, right? I mean that's why it hasn't taken off in South Africa. So I'm not convinced you're going to see the kind of digital platforms that we see here in in the near future. But I think it's great that what you're doing. I think you'll you'll actually um, be a, a catalyst for lots of other things that will happen in the space. So great, well done. Thank you very much. And I, I hope to prove you wrong. I hope to, to, to pull out or uh, get folks who I call the mass affluence, uh, even in, in Africa involved. Uh, a lot of people have the money to be able to invest in their continent and let's, let's help them do it. All right, um, anybody else? I'd, I'd agree with you, Jim. I mean, we, we know that we've been trying to get some statistics around what's the size of the middle class uh, in Africa for a long time. Um, and, you know, the latest numbers are roughly at around uh, 330 million people. And, uh, you know, just so that we yeah. aren't in danger of conflating uh, the wrong things. Uh, we're not talking about crowdfunding for those who are, you know, below the, the poverty line. We're talking no. about those who have disposable income. And yeah. how many people have disposable income? Take a look at how much money is spent by exactly these individuals on educating their children outside of the continent, on healthcare outside of the continent, on regular uh, trips to, to Europe, North America, to Asia, etc. We cannot say that there is insufficient capital from this group of individuals. And there's actually appetite. I do believe that there is appetite, but what may not be as clear is line of sight to be able to find great entrepreneurs like Derek, like Ope, and to be able to go through that process with them to know that this is what the business is and this is what I think I can do with my capital and hopefully get some funding back. So. Um, uh, Jim, I, I think there's, there's real opportunity here. I am particularly excited about more thematic vehicles coming up in the future, because then I think what you get is a, a compounding of, uh, of, of uh, success, because 
I would personally feel quite excited about investing in a crowdsourcing uh, platform around agriculture, for example, Mm -hmm. because all the portfolio companies are within agriculture. I think there'll be benefits within that portfolio as opposed to having a fully diversified portfolio. Um, And I think it gives us access to uh, diversify across the continent as well in a way that we wouldn't currently. I know my my own um, portfolio is very heavily weighted between the usual suspects, right, which is Nigeria and and Kenya, um, with with a little bit outside of those two uh, those two countries. Um, and I would personally love to see a little bit more um, uh, allocation. Uh, places like uh, Francophone, uh, Francophone West Africa, Lesotho, maybe not yet. It's not yet. Okay. Uh, but, cannabis. You can do cannabis in Lesotho. Uh, I'll, Raj, I'll leave that one to you. But, what, what do you uh, know about that, Raj? Sorry, <laughs> good question, my brother. Good question. Uh, so Derek, Jim, uh, final thoughts. Oh, very quickly. Um, usually I don't like to talk about things I don't know about, but I'm just going to do it anyway uh, today. Um, I think that there's some very interesting models for sort of accelerators, et cetera, that have come onto the continent, trying to educate entrepreneurs. Just riffing off of what Geetha said, it might be interesting to see where there are opportunities for educating the potential investor class, whether it's in equity crowdfunding, whether it's in, you know, how to evaluate startups, how to become parts of networks like the Nest. I think that this is a wonderful place when I've come to be here, not only as, a, as an entrepreneur, but even as it audience member, I've learned a lot. And I feel like if more people understood the opportunity, the value and how to go about it, we might be able to get more people joining that uh, investment class. Absolutely. Kendall. Oh, you're on mute, Kendall. I love the nest. I mean, I think it's just an amazing um, show. And, uh, you know, one of the things I think it's great about it is one, you actually become exposed to a lot of different investors. I mean, I actually take pictures sometimes of the participants and I mean, the list. <laughs> cyber stock. <laughs> I haven't um, thought about that one. I should do that. <laughs> and, um, and, and exposes me to companies that I never necessarily would have invested in or been interested in. And it starts to really turn the wheel. So I think that's great. Um, and, and just one sort of final thought. And, and I think we do really um, I think there's lots of opportunity for retail investors to get involved. It doesn't have to be accredited investors. And one of my favorite stories is PiggyVest. It's a mm-hmm. digital platform, collects savings from, um, from members, from participants, um, and then they invest them in higher yield opportunities. A recent investment was a loan to an agricultural aggregator that um, used it to offtake smallholder farming which was then export, you know, that could be used for local markets or export markets. And it's being creative and finding the ways that you can crowdfund in different channels to have that kind of impact and allow everyone to participate and, and, and generate yield, I think is, is important and possible. Great. And I'm going to throw in a final thought as well, which is, I think, um, and this wasn't necessarily something that I knew was going to happen when we started the NAS, but I've just been so amazed with all the great entrepreneurs that I've met through the nest. And it really is a privilege to um, be exposed to all these great entrepreneurs, great ideas, great markets that understand it. And our hope is that because more and more people can see and hear directly from the entrepreneurs through the nest or through other platforms, you find, we can, I hope to change people's image of what, especially those who are not already actively investing in Africa, change the image 
oh yeah, no, I, I care about Africa. I want to donate some money. No, don't do that. You should be investing in the continent you want to make change. And you know what? For everybody that says, oh yeah, yeah, you know, the best entrepreneurship is in the valleys. You know, when you come on the nest and you hear some of, some of the entrepreneurs like Derek and OK Pitch and, and understand the market they're going after, it's inspiring. And so I hope that we can have more people like that coming in, seeing and changing their minds about what investing in emerging markets is like. It's not just impacting us, it's investing. Thank you for everybody for being on the show today, for the panelists taking their time. And I do hope that uh, we see you next week at our next Nest. Next Next is a, a joint session with Flat6 Labs Tunisia. And the week after that, I'm sorry, not October, December 10th, we'll have a session in French. And final thoughts, Nest, that's syndicated. That's, it's open source. Anybody wants to start Nest in their region, in their sector, please, we're happy to show you how we do it and we take it on. Thanks everybody. See you next week. Thank you. Thank you for having me. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.